Um, so it's April 17th, 2022 AD. And the world is still counting time by Jesus. Yeah, now they, they use uh, CE, current epic, but it's still the same year. They just don't want to say AD. If you say CE, you're still counting time by Jesus because you didn't change the year number. Let's have a uh, word of prayer and we'll begin. Our Father, we're grateful to you for this day. And we are thankful especially to you for what this day represents around the world, Easter being Resurrection Sunday. And we thank you for that. It gives us our hope for the future. It validates who Jesus is. And we're grateful for your plan to rescue us. Father, you know our hearts and thoughts today. There are a number among us, members here, families, friends and other places who have special needs today. And you know our thoughts and we lift those names to you, those people to you, and ask your blessing for physical needs, spiritual needs, emotional needs. For them and their families, we ask your blessings. And please bless us today in the study of your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, my staff did some research for me. It's a staff of one. It wasn't Pam, it was me. Uh, As best as I could tell, according to Google, the bunnies, the Easter bunnies showed up somewhere in the 1700s from Germany. Uh, Jesus came to earth about 17 centuries before that. And if it were not for Easter Sunday, there would be no Christianity. There would be no need for it, no purpose to do it. I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to read verse 17, 20, and 23. But Paul writes, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless, and you still have your sins. But, in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. Each in his own order, Christ the first fruits will come. And at his coming, those who belong to Christ. So that, that thought propelled the first century church to go through all kinds of persecution and difficulty and struggles because their faith was in Jesus because of the resurrection. Um, that was their motivation and their future. Richard? You know why Paul says first fruits of the day? Uh huh. Because the day that he was raised was the festival of first fruits. 
Ah, no, I didn't know that. The day he was raised was the festival of first fruits. Yes, I've read that and I forgot it. First fruits, and, it, and of course, the whole idea of the first fruits of giving to the Lord from the first and best of the harvest. And of course, Jesus is the first and best from, from those who had died because he did not stay dead. Um, just picking up a couple of things from Skip from last week. Uh, Jesus in, in chapter 14, let me get back to John. There went a marker, but that's okay. In John 14 and verse, uh, I want to I look at... Uh, Verse 30, Jesus says to the disciples, he's, uh, chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, he's talking, he's, most of these four chapters are Jesus' words. Uh, it's the longest stretch in scripture, I guess, where it's just Jesus talking. And he's talking to the 11. That's not to say that there are not applications for us. There certainly are. But as we read these passages, we should be aware that he's talking to the 11 and the, the things that he's saying is uh, the things are to them. But we can obviously draw, draw applications from that. So he says in verse 30, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. Uh, that, of course, is the key to our salvation, that the Ruler of this world, uh, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, the little g, God of this world, has no claim on him. Jesus told his disciples in John 10, 17 and 18, that I'm going to lay my life down and I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it back up again. So when Jesus tells them here, uh, four chapters later, uh, in, in our books, uh, he says he's coming, but he, he's got no claim on me. Of course, this is exactly what Peter said at Pentecost when Jesus had died and been raised, and he tells the Jews there in Acts 2, he said, you killed Jesus, but didn't work. He's been raised, God has raised him, and made him both Lord and Christ, he says in verse 36. And in 24, he says, it was not possible for death to hold him. Death couldn't hold him, Acts 2, 24. Not possible. So that's what Jesus is saying here. The ruler of this world has no claim on me. Uh, of course, this goes back to Genesis 3 in the garden where Jesus gives the penalty uh, for sin to Eve to Adam and to Satan, he says, the seed of woman will crush your head, bruise your head. You'll bruise his heel. You're going to hurt him a little bit, but he's going he's to give you a mortal blow. And the resurrection that's about, that we're coming up to here in, in John, that is the mortal, uh, mortal blow. Um, I want to notice one other thing at the end of chapter 14. Jesus says in verse 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know I love the Father. 
I obey the Father so that the world will know I love the Father. Now he's telling those guys, here's an example I'm giving you to obey God so that the world will know you love God. The same for us, the same for me. My life is to show obedience to God so that the world will know I love God. Um, more on that as we go. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting uh, between, actually, um, look, look back up this idea of obedience and love kind of going hand in hand. Look at John 14, verse 15, which Skip talked about last week. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So there's a condition there. If you love me, you will obey me. There is no separation between obedience, love, loving God, and obeying God. Can't separate the two. And so between uh, that middle of chapter 14 and the end of chapter 15, which is whatever that is, 50 verses or so, um, he talks about obedience over, and as we're going to see in chapter 15, over and over and over and over. He mentions obedience. Uh, I would deduct something important about that. Uh, 18 times he talks in one way or another in this chapter and a half, Jesus talks about obeying God. 18 times. More as we go. So it gets into uh, chapter 15 here. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. There are a lot of vines out there, aren't there? It is quite a tangled mess. Lots of vines. There's one true vine. There are vines of career, vines of influence, vines of popularity, vines of money, vines of all sorts of things. There's one true vine, only one vine gives life, is associated with being a life-giving connection. All these other vines, not necessarily, many of them, bad within themselves. Some vines are very bad. Some addictions are very bad. There are all kinds of vines of addictions that are life-killing then there are vines that are time-absorbing, not necessarily bad in or of themselves, unless they become a controlling vine. Like the old preacher from Kentucky said, and I've used this before, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. That's the main thing. Amy? Self-control here. Richard said, how do you catch a unique bunny? Unique up on it. 
Uh, that's for free. There's no charge for that. Richard, no more of those. If you raise your hand, no. Don't. Don't do it. Um, there's only one true vine. Many, many vines are in competition, but there's only one true vine. Interesting, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21, the prophet talks about Israel. Uh, well, let's just, that was my marker. Let's flip over there and read that real quickly. Jeremiah 2, 20 and 20 uh, through 22. Jeremiah 2. So he says, God says, Long ago to Israel, I broke your yoke, talking about the Egyptian slavery they were in. I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, but you said, I'm I'm not going to serve. So on every hill and under every green tree, you bowed down like a whore, idolatry, false gods. 21, yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then did you turn degenerate? and become a wild vine. Though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, and stain, the stain of your guilt is still before me, declares the Lord. Man, we, we're not able to erase our guilt or our sins. We have to have supernatural help for that. But Israel had become a wild vine. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. And it's interesting, uh, the Jewish leaders of that day, they proved themselves to be of the same nature, degenerate vines. They rejected the Messiah. They rejected the truth. Verse 2, chapter 15, every branch in me, now let me get back over here. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Uh, There's a story there we're familiar with in Matthew 21 where Jesus comes upon the fig tree. The fig tree is all leafed out and it looks like it's going to be, uh, figs should be on it. Uh, But when Jesus comes up to it, there are no figs. There's no fruit. And Jesus curses the tree, ends up cursing the tree, for giving an appearance of doing what it's supposed to be doing, but not doing it. And that really applied to the Pharisees, the high priests, the scribes, the rabbis of the day. There was a message in there for them. You have the appearance of being alive. You you go to church every Sunday, sort of. You're in the temple all the time. You have the appearance of being alive spiritually, but where's the fruit? No fruit. So he says, uh, if there's no fruit, the, the husbandman will take those branches away. Then he says, if I can find it, Back in verse 2, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. The Father prunes branches that bear fruit. Uh, Your thoughts about that? What's he talking about? Bob? 
Prunes and cleans being the same idea. When he cleans a branch or prunes a branch, what happens? What's he doing? By doing what to it? Pruning meaning what? Removing unfruitful branches so that the main branch will flourish. Uh, Pruning. What would that look like in our lives? What would pruning look like in our lives? Say again. Changing? Changing shape. Okay, so you, our lives will change shape. Old habits dropped off. You know, I guess there's two ways of pruning. To, we could think about it in two ways, external pruning and internal pruning. And God would be active in both of those. External pruning... There may be things to be cut away that it, it may be painful. Cutting things away from our lives that are really a drag, that are dragging us down and hindering us from our function. In some way, they're interfering with what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, so uh, we may lose a job. It may seem very painful. There are all kinds of reasons jobs can be lost. I'm not saying that God is behind every one of those. But possibly, providentially, he may be behind some of those. It may be that there are things in a certain work environment or or the amount of time it's taking or the pursuit that are just really not profitable and useful for the kingdom, for God's work on earth. And it may be that job is removed. Pruning can be pretty painful. Then we look back on that five years down the road or ten years down the road and say, oh, I worked out for the best. I didn't think so at the time, but now I can see. So whenever things are going on in our lives, uh, faith and prayer needs to be involved as we go to say, Lord, what is your will? What should I be doing? Help me through this. And trusting that he will work things. Uh, So uh, it may be people. There may be relationships in our lives that we need to back away from. Because they're causing interference and static and negative influence on us. Causing a lot of trouble. Sometimes in our lives, people should be pruned Sometimes it's internal. As we mature and grow in our faith walk, we start to realize I have some wrong priorities. I have some some things in my life are causing clutter and noise. And we grow out and grow past that and shed some things that are hindering our growth. And so there's internal pruning as we mature as we continue to pray for the Lord to lead our lives.
So those that bear fruit, he prunes so that they will bear more fruit. Paul had the same idea in Philippians chapter 3. He said, things that I used to count as gain, I now count as loss and rubbish so that I might gain Christ. Uh, Things that were once of high value to me, I've put them on. He says, Philippians 3, verse 7, 8, 9, I've suffered the loss of all things that I might gain Christ. So he's in his own maturing, he has put away things that were negative, that were not of eternal value, or that were of false value. And he went through that himself. And he said, I don't regret it at all that I might gain Christ. Everything else is rubbish. So pruning can be an internal decision as well as external. And so Jesus tells the apostles, or the apostles to be, the disciples in verse 3, you are clean or you are pruned because of what I've told you. And he's done a lot of pruning with them around the supper. Uh, He's shaken their self-confidence. He's shaken their pride. He's shown them that a leader has to be a servant. You know, just previous to this, they were arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. And he says... You're thinking the wrong way. If you're thinking about who's the greatest, I'll tell you who's the greatest. It's the one that serves. You're looking at things like man looks at them and God doesn't look look at them that way at all. So he has done some pruning with the disciples during and after the, the supper. Richard. For three years, Yeshua's been teaching, training these men. This relates back to Leviticus where it says when you enter the land and plant various kinds of trees you are to regard its fruit as forbidden for three years it will not it will be forbidden to you and not and not eaten in the fourth year all the fruit of, will be holy for pruning or for praising Adonai so now They've been, for three years, they haven't produced or anything that could be eaten. Now they're expected to start producing mm-hmm. A pattern from Leviticus, uh, when they were planting vineyards for three years, they were to leave it alone, and uh, the, 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 the vineyards would produce as they should in the fourth year. And Richard's making the comparison that the disciples have spent three years not producing much fruit. Uh, but now it's coming the time that they start to produce fruit. And that's a good parallel. Uh, Then we get to verse 4. So he says in verse 4, and he's going to really emphasize this over the next several verses, abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So my question to us is, abide, abide. What are some synonyms or parallels for the use of that term? What what is he saying to them when he says abide in me? Follow. Trust. Trust. Stay. Where you live. All of those are 
All of those are correct answers, and there's more similar. They all involve a choice. They all involve a choice. Our, our following Jesus is a, an active choice we make. If we ignore making the choice, we've made a choice. Abiding has to do with living with, living in, staying, following, being in. So when Paul says in Romans 6 that we're baptized into Christ, we know what into means, then we are in Christ. And he says now abide in me. Live in me, follow me, live with me. Um, he says that seven times in this little section right here. And I'll just throw this in too. Um, if we are connected to him, if we are abiding in him, with him, if we are connected to Jesus, we are connected to the body by, def by definition. We're connected. So someone says, well, I don't care too much about this organized religion idea, this church thing. I'm just living with God on my own. It's just me and God. No. No, it's not. You've been fooled if that's what, the way you think. Acts 20, 28, Jesus purchased the church with his blood. He died to purchase the church the fellowship of believers. We are designed and intended to abide in him and with each other. We are a body. There's no monk Christianity taught in scripture. That's not the idea. We're to be in a body life. We are to be living, serving, fellowshipping, with each other as we serve God. That's the whole idea there. Uh, notice what he says in verse 8, and he's, he's going to get into some things here. I mean, he's really, if, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and read chapter 15 and just notice how much he says about the, visibility, the, the visible obedience in our lives. Visible obedience. But look at verse 8 of chapter 15. By this is my Father glorified. Okay, this is probably going to be pretty important. By this is my Father glorified. Sounds important. That you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. It's the very same thing that he said in John 14. I obey the Father and so prove that I love him. Um, just a comment here. Faithfulness to God, faithfulness is always visible. Faithfulness is always visible. There's fruit or there's not fruit. We know about the fruits of the Spirit, how that, we, how that living for God takes on impact in our personality and in our conduct in terms of love, joy, peace, and so forth, self-control. 
there's the influence, there's the fruit that comes as a result of our influence in the world of people attracted to Jesus because of how we live and what we say. Fruit is always visible. Um, he's, he's talking about a whole lot of abiding, following, trusting, serving, obeying. All that's wrapped up in abiding and bearing fruit. I have three notes here that I, I put in here. Our faith in who he is produces visible life change. Our faith in who he is produces visible life change. We speak differently. We act differently toward others. Our homes are not war zones, are not zones of criticism. There's life change as we grow in our faith about who he is. There's just no place for this yip-yap baloney. It's just pure garbage. If we're, if we're quick to be critical and harsh and, and all that stuff, what is your point? There's no place for that. Faith in who he is produces life change. Faith involves faithfulness. Our obedience to him is a demonstration of our love and faith. There's a passage in Romans 12 where Paul says to present your, your body as a living sacrifice unto him, holy, acceptable, your spiritual service. Present your body as a living sacrifice. That involves doing, living, doing, sharing, serving, giving, living sacrifice. It's not mental only. So, you know, I want to be I want to be kind and clear about this, but there, there is, um, there's a really prevalent idea in modern Christianity, Christendom, that we're saved by faith alone. That's okay if we understand what faith is. Absolutely, we're saved by grace through faith if we understand what faith is. But faith is not something in your head, in your heart, alone. The devils have that, James 2.19. The demons believe. The idea is that if you do something to obey God and to please God, then you are working. Bob, that's foreign to Scripture. Totally foreign Totally foreign. The, the idea of earning in Scripture is by obeying. It's not there at all. I want you to turn to Luke 17. Um, I never hear this verse used in connection with this. I think it's very appropriate. It's Jesus talking in Luke 17. And he makes this point. Luke 17, verse 7 through 10. 
Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? He says, you you don't say that. You don't say that to your servant. Verse 8, will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink? Verse 9, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No. He's a servant. He hasn't earned anything by doing what's commanded. So verse 10. So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. We have not earned anything. Obeying God is not a work of merit. Being baptized into Jesus is where God does the work, not us. We submit to baptism in obedience to his command. He does the work of removing our sins, of putting us into Jesus, of making us a new creature. It's all God's work. The idea of of, of being baptized uh, contradicts faith is totally foreign to scripture. It is an act of faith. So we need to understand that faith is loving, following, giving, serving, abiding in, trusting the Lord. Faith includes faithfulness. It's really clear. It's really clear. So Jesus says in verse 10, 15, 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And this is my command, that you love one another And then verse 14, you're my friends if you do what I commanded you. You're my friends if you do what I commanded you. Okay, 10 minutes. You know, with that phrase, you're my friends, he elevated them. Yes, he did. Uh, Richard says he elevated them when he called them his friends. In the three years that they've been going along, Yeshua was a rabbi. Yeah. Rabbis teaching yeah. the Talmud, their students, it's like a master with, mm-hmm. with his slaves. Mm-hmm. They were. Yeah. They did everything for him. Mm-hmm. He has now elevated them to his friends. Yeah, he, this, is a, this is a change in how he is, uh, how they are to see each other and realize who they are by calling them friends rather than mentees and servants. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, obedience. Um, so he says in verse 15, John 15, 15, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. I have called you friends. And for all, <clears throat> for all that I have heard from the Father, I have made known to you. So he's giving them... Full disclosure of everything he gets from the Lord, God. And he's going to say it again in John 16, 13. uh, The Father's going to give you all truth. The Spirit, when he comes, is going to lead you into all truth. They're going to have all the truth that they need that God intends for man to have to tell us how to live. There's there's no latter-day revelation to come. The disciples were given all truth. All as in A-L-L. 
So we have what God wants us to have. Peter says, uh, all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's revealed to us. Then he changes gears a little bit here in verse 18 through 20. If the world hates you, remember it hated me first. Uh, There's going to be some conflict. There's going to be some conflict along the way. If, If you live in such a way to show your Christian values, there's going to be There are going to be some rough edges. Some people are not going to like that. And so today, if you verbalize your belief in Christian marriage between a man and a woman, if you verbalize your belief that life is precious, that abortion is killing a baby, you can expect pushback. People are not going to like that. They don't want to hear it. Everybody knows, we saw a picture the other day of Carly's little baby, Kellen. You know, hands, arms, feet, legs, head. Everybody knows that's a little human baby. It's incredible how barbaric an educated culture has become. It's just to call it health choice to kill a baby. Amazing. Good grief. It's a shame. It is a shame. And we shouldn't be quiet about that. If we don't say anything about the sanctity of life, why not? Who's going to say it if the church of Jesus doesn't defend it? If the world hates you, verse 18, you know what hated me first before it hated you. If you were of the world, it would love you. If you went along with the values of the world, you'd be just fine. No pushback. But if you stand up as I have, then you're going to be in the line of fire as being called a hate hate speech and all that business. And we sort of have to decide if we're going to stand for God's truth or not. We should pray for wisdom and courage to know when and what to say. We should pray about that. But we should not be silent. We should not be silent. No. I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Verse 19. Uh, So, drop down to 22 through 25 here. So he's talking about the Pharisees and uh, the Jewish leaders again. Um, If I had not come and spoken, verse 22, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father also. So Jesus pointed out the inconsistencies of the rabbis, the Pharisees, the high priests, and they learned to hate him. And they set up plans to kill him, get him out of the way. Because they rejected what he said, he's 
he's going to say they're guilty. If I had not done the things, verse 24, if I had not done the things among them, the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen them and hated me and the Father. They hated me for no cause. They're guilty of their sin because they rejected messianic signs. They wouldn't believe what their eyes showed them. Their hearts were harder than stones. Their hearts were harder than stones. And so he says they're guilty of sin. Now he gets to something here in verse 26. When the Helper comes, the Spirit comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. So there's some reassurance for these guys. He says, I'm sending the Helper. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you do what I'm giving you commission to do. But not only is he going to witness about me, you're going to witness about me too. It's like us telling a little kid, you can do it. Come on. You can do it. That's what he's saying. These 11 have been shaken. They have heard him tell them that one of them will betray them, him one of their number, they've heard him say that Peter, one of the leaders, is going to deny me. I'm going to die. I'm going to go away and you can't come. All the assurances they've experienced for three years and counted on has all been stripped away. But Jesus says the helper's coming and he, he won't come if I don't leave. He says the helper's coming and he's going to help. He's going to bear witness about me and you are going to bear witness about me. And I would say this in closing. Us too. Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about that we are a people for God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness unto light. We are a chosen people of, for God's own possession to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And Easter, Resurrection Sunday, is our motivation to do just that. Amen. Hey, I'm Eddie White, the Senior Minister for the Eastside Church of Christ. Sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you. I'd like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us. And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.